We'll talk about again today, part two of making the right choice. Everybody say making the right choice. I shared with you on last week that a significant portion of the problems that we face can be traced to a poor decision, a wrong choice. Amen. A decision made by a process that a lot of times we don't fully understand why we're making that decision the way we made it. But there are things that inherently from our childhood on up that will affect the way we make choices and decisions. But as a born again believer, how many of you know that God would like for us and it is his will for us to follow his way of choosing? Everybody say make the right choice. In Joshua, the 24th chapter, go with me, if you will, to verse number, number 14. Joshua, the 24th chapter, verse number 14. And this is taken from this 24th chapter as Joshua gathers all of uh, the tribes of Israel together at Shechem. And he called for the elders of Israel. He calls for the heads uh, of, uh, of the different tribes and for their judges and for their officers and, and they presented themselves before the Lord. And what Joshua begins to do here is to give them a history lesson over what God had done for them and their ancestors. It is critically important, guys, that we don't ever forget what the Lord has done for us. And so Joshua begins to tell them how God delivered them from slavery out of Egypt and how God had, had conquered their enemies for them as he brought them out of bondage, amen, into a land of promise. And so as he gets down here and he begins to talk in verse number 14, let's look at it. It says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly because God has delivered you, because God has brought you out, amen, because God has, has caused you to uh, move from a place of bondage to a place of freedom. He says here, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worship." when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. Verse number 15, watch this. He says this, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose, everybody say choose. Choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my house as for me and my family we will do what serve the Lord that's what Joshua says Joshua says I am making a choice I am making a, a God honoring choice a decision to serve the God who delivered us out of Egypt to serve the God who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think so we're talking about making the right choice now, on your outline, we shared this on last week that when it comes to decisions, we got to look at the priority and the moral distinction as it relates to a decision because decisions tend to be a priority decision or a moral decision. Amen? Y'all remember that? In other words, we said priority decision. What a priority decision? Priority decision are choices between right and right. Amen? In other words, two or more choices can be made, either of which would be morally right. They represent our choices about how to allocate our time and our resources and our money. The important thing in making a priority decision, we said, is to be wise. Amen. Everybody say wisdom. What did Proverbs 4 and 7 say? Wisdom is what? The principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. But in all you're getting, get some what? 
understanding. And that's what we're talking about, understanding God's way and understanding how to make right choices and right decisions. Because, guys, I'm going to tell you, the choices that we make, we, we make millions of choices uh, throughout our lifetime. And those choices and how we choose to decide to go this way or that way will determine where we end up in life. Are y'all listening to me today? So the important thing in making a prior decision is to be wise, to choose between good, better, and best. Moral decisions, on the other hand, are choices between what? Right and wrong. There is the morally correct choice and the morally wrong choice. And to make the wrong choice is what? Sin. You saw in that video presentation where you had different decisions. And, and, and I, I've had this happen to me. How many of y'all have been parked in a parking lot and somebody comes up and dings your door? Or worse yet, they scrub up against your car and leave a mark on it like I have on mine right now. And then back up and leave and don't say anything. Dude, just like that lady did in that video, look around and see who's looking and then take off. That's a moral decision, Amen. See, a decision about whether to take a vacation day at work or not, that's a priority decision, right? Because if you got a report that's due on Friday and you haven't finished it, to take a vacation day on Thursday, I don't think would be a wise priority decision. But it's not a wrong thing to take a vacation day. Can I get a witness? Are y'all with me today? But a decision to call in sick when you're not sick, that's a moral decision. Amen. In other words, you lied. Come on, because you used up all of your vacation days and you said in your mind, well, I got a bunch of sick days, so I'll just take one. Well, taking a sick day when you are not sick is a moral decision. Everybody say moral decision. Listen to this real carefully. I want you to catch this. Don't, don't get offended, but listen to this real carefully. I want you to follow me all the way to the conclusion. Amen. I said, follow me all the way through to, to the conclusion. All right. A decision to have sex in the morning at midday or late at night is a priority decision. If you're married. Everybody say, if you're married. It's a priority decision. Some like it in the morning. Some like it in the middle of the day. And some of y'all are late night hounds. But the decision when you're going to have sex with your spouse is a priority decision. Can I get a witness? But a decision to have sex with someone who's not your husband or your wife is a moral decision. I don't care if it's in the morning. I don't care if it's at midday. I don't care if it's at 2 a.m. in in, in the morning or at midnight or wherever at night. That's a moral decision. Are you all tracking with me today? See, the power to make correct moral decisions results from a man's desire to have integrity and the enabling power of God abiding on the inside of him. Are y'all listening to me? A, a man's desire, a woman's desire to have integrity and the enabling power of God on the inside of him. I'm going to quote something here right quick. Arthur J. Clark said this in his, in his little book, Black Book of Positive Thoughts. He gives us 14 basic principles to guide us through life's journey. And two of those I want to highlight just for a second as we discuss our topic for today. He said, one of them, he said that really jumped out at me, he says, trust God first. He says, trust God first and trust yourself. Trust God first, amen, and trust yourself. He says, always maintain a strong belief 
and trust in God and yourself. Because again, if you don't believe in you, who won't believe in you? All right. And he says, especially during the times, it may appear that no one else believes in you. Have you ever been in a position where you felt like nobody had any confidence or trust in you? I'm going to tell you something. You got to learn how to believe in yourself as God has made you and created you to be. I like this. I think when I when I read that, I thought about Proverbs, the third chapter, verse five through six, which says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. But in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll do what? Direct your path. So trust in the Lord with all of your heart. So trust God first and trust yourself. Second thing he says this is that, uh, that, that I want to bring out for you. It says give yourself ample time when making critical decisions. See, the devil is always trying to get us to make a choice in a hurry. The devil is always trying to get us to make a choice right now. But we need to take time to pray through a situation. We need to take time to pray through the choices that are set before us. He says, take extreme caution when making decisions. Slow down and think through the situation that's being, that you're being encountered with. Remember that a yes today might be a no tomorrow after sleeping over a, a, a particular situation that you're facing. Amen. It, whenever you find somebody trying to get you to make a choice right now, and I'm going to tell you something. Having been through sales training, sales training, when you go through sales training, they teach you how to, to get that person to make the decision right there. And if you go into a car dealership, you go into an appliance place, they know that when you say, well, let me think about it, I'll be back next week, they know nine times out of ten you ain't coming back next week. So what they're trained to do is not let you leave that dealership until a decision is made. Can I get a witness? But always, never, th- thank you, Brother Dave, Brother Dave, Brother Dave, I, I ain't mad at you, but I know that's what sales training tells you. I remember when I was in banking, uh, we went through a sales training process because it used to be in banking, you just waited for somebody to come to you and ask for money. Because money could be an easy sale, wouldn't you think? That's what bankers do, they sell money. Did y'all know that? But the part I told you about, a banker can't sell money to everybody. That's the hard part about it. I can go out and advertise. I got money to loan, but I can't give it to everybody because guess what? Everybody won't pay me back. And as I've always said, money is a window into your character. How you handle money or your lack of ability to handle it is an indicator of what kind of character that you have. Hello, somebody. All right? So simply be aware of making critical decisions hastily. Don't do something hastily. The enemy is always trying to get you to do stuff hastily. Proverbs 21 and 5 says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So so as we look at this thing, we're talking about decision making, making the right choice. We said on last week that Jesus uh, gave us some principles and the first principle of effective decision-making is, is to live by the word of God. When I choose to live by the word of God, then th- if, if I decide to do the word, then it's going to help me make some right choices, right? James 1 and 22 says, be ye doers of the word and not what? Hearers only deceiving your own self. So the first principle of effective decision-making is to live by the word of God. The second principle we talked about was to, to not put God to a test. In other words, don't don't go and do something and expect for God to rescue you because he's God who saved you. 
Sometimes we'll, we'll make a choice or decision and we want God to come through and rescue us uh, and we put God to a test. In other words, when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the enemy, one thing he's, he, did, he did not allow the devil to do was to put him, put, to cause him to put God to a test. In other words, throw yourself down. The angels are going to have charge over you, but no, 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 we're not going to do that because that's not God's will for my life. The third thing we said was, is to always worship God and serve him only in your decisioning. So if I'm worshiping God and serving him only in my decisioning, then that means that when something comes up that is not in line with God's word and is not in line with my worship of him, then I choose not to do that thing. Are y'all listening to me today? So since this is Mother's Day, I, I, I decided to take a look at a couple of uh, uh, mothers from scripture who can give us some example of one who made the right choices, okay? And I'm going to look at, maybe if we have time, look at a third one where the, the woman wasn't necessarily a godly woman, but because of her motherly instinct, she chose to make a decision that would help save her child. So if you got your Bibles, guys, let's go to Exodus, the fourth chapter, verse number 18, and we're going to begin our reading there. Exodus the fourth chapter, verse number 18. Glory to God. Are y'all still with me today? Everybody say, making the right choice. I Listen, if you're like me, you can look back over your life and you can see some choices that you made that may have you in a predicament right today or some choices that you made that cause you not to be where God would have you to be right today. Are y'all listening to me today? And so, uh, when we look back at our life, we can all admit that we've made some poor choices and some poor decisions. But what I would hope that each one of us would do is to learn how to make the right choice. The right choice. Look at Exodus, the fourth chapter, verse number 18, right quick. It says, so Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they are still alive. He says, go in peace, Jethro replied. Look at verse 19. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, return to Egypt for all those who wanted to kill you have died. Right now, watch this now. He, he asked permission of his father-in-law who he had been working for. Remember Moses, uh, the, the one who, who was raised in Pharaoh's house, the one whom his mom, in order to save him, gave him up. Listen very carefully. The one whom his mom put in the river and Pharaoh's daughter scooped him up and raised him as her own. I want to tell you something. See, in life, uh, that many of you all have the opportunity to provide some mothering to children who may not be your biological children. But it's critically important to realize that every child needs that mothering. And so Pharaoh's daughter picked him up, scooped him up, and he was raised in Pharaoh's house as royalty. But you all know the story how it was that, that one day he saw two of his uh, Israelite brothers fighting and, and uh, he went in and interceded and ended up killing a man. And then someone saw him do that and so he, 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 he left Egypt and went over uh, and was spent 40 years on the backside of the desert serving his father-in-law. Amen? Tending the sheep and doing other things uh, uh, that, that, that was preparing him for his journey back to Egypt. But watch what the text says. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, return to Egypt for all those who want to kill you have died. Verse number 20. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey and headed back to the land of Egypt. 
in his hand, he carried the staff of God. Watch this. And the Lord told Moses, when you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. 22, let's go. It says, then you will tell him, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. Now watch this. God is saying it is time for my people who are in captivity because of their unwillingness to worship me, amen, in spirit and truth. The children of Israel were down in captivity because of their reluctance and their their disobedience in serving the true and the living God. But how many know even when we are in a place of of, of turmoil, when we're in a place of, of judgment, God is still always looking and waiting on us to turn our hearts back toward him. It's just like a mother and a father, amen, with their children. You're always looking for your child to repent and do the right thing, right? No parent really wants to punish their child and keep them in the doghouse. How many of y'all growing up were in the doghouse with your mom and dad from time to time? Let, let's see here. Come on, can we be honest? None of us in here made all the right choices and all the right decisions. How many in here thought at a certain age that you actually knew more than mama? Yeah, yeah, you did. You, you, you thought you knew more than mama. You thought you were actually smarter than mama because you had a college degree and she didn't. Hello. And then when you found out as you live life and you begin to go through situations, you found out mama wasn't so, so unlearned as you thought she was. Are oh, you listening to me today? Young lady, you found out that mama knew a little bit about dating than what you thought she knew about dating. And sometimes mamas can, 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 can use that, that, I think that God-given instinct to sniff out a dude who ain't good for you. Are y'all tracking with me today? Now, I'm talking about a godly mama now. Now, all mamas aren't always godly. They may be saved, but they're not always godly. Hello? All mamas aren't thinking straight, right? Because mamas have a tendency to make decisions and choices if they're not careful solely out of their emotional state and not out of their spiritual uh, development. But again, mamas have an instinct, and I, I got to give it to them because they can see stuff sometimes that child can't see. Are y'all listening today? But, sorry, but let's get back to the text. It says, I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will not kill your firstborn son on the way to Egypt. Now, this is God telling Moses what to tell Pharaoh. And, and I shared it with you. I shared this passage with you guys before because it was very strange to me and it jumped off the page of me that God is giving, amen, uh, Moses' instruction on what to do, had given him an assignment, but something changes here in the carrying out of this assignment. Watch what the text says. It says, on the way to Egypt at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. Now watch this. The Lord confronted who? He confronted Moses. 
the one who he had just said, I want you to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Something that Moses had not done was causing God to get ready to take him out. And we'll look at it just for a second. But now watch this. Look at verse number 25. Watch this. And we'll go back. And most of y'all remember this. He said, but Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Verse number 26 says what? When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord did what? Left who alone? He left Moses alone. But the Lord was getting ready to take Moses out. Now, now, now I'm not, not a lot is, is known about Zipporah in the scripture. We do know that she was of African descent. Okay? And, and, and she was the daughter of a man named Jethro who held the respected position as the priest of Midian. We also know that Zipporah married Moses after he had fled Egypt and that their interracial marriage had been the source of some contention in Moses' family of origin. Go with me right with the Numbers, the 12th chapter. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Numbers chapter number 12. And again, what I would tell you is I look at this, and I just want to share this with you right quick, because sometimes who God connects you with, your family of origin may not understand that connection. But it don't mean that God didn't connect you. As a matter of fact, God gives you the ability to make a choice. All right? Sometimes your family of origin think that ain't nobody good enough for you. Is anybody in the house? I, 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 felt, I felt a coolness come over this place. You say, Pastor, that ain't no Mother's Day message. Don't be talking about that. Well, I need to talk about it because sometimes mamas be off. Saved, but off. Saved, but emotional. Saved, but not thinking straight. Saved, but not growing in their faith. So here we have a situation, Zipporah, a woman of African descent, marrying in Moses a man who was a Jew, who was an Israelite. Zipporah, a Gentile, Moses, a Jew. Zipporah, dark-skinned, Moses, more olive-toned. Can I get a witness? And look at what the text says in Numbers chapter 12, verse number 1. And you guys know what the Bible says, and I, I, I don't even have to reiterate it, but I'm going to say it again. God doesn't have a problem with who you hook up with, except that who you hook up with needs to be somebody who's already hooked up with him. Can I get a witness up here? In other words, in other words saved people should marry saved people. Not unsaved people. Saved people should marry people who have a covenant with God. The text says while they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses. Why? Because he had married a Cushite woman. Look at verse number two. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Now they're giving him beef because of who he married. 
God don't have a problem with interracial marriage. Let's say that right quick. Let's say it out of your mouth. Because in some of y'all's heart, you got a problem. But God don't have a problem. And if God don't have a problem, you shouldn't have a problem. Everybody say, God doesn't have a problem with interracial marriage. Okay. So that just that got you out the way, okay? And I, I, I hear some of y'all sisters out there saying, well, you know, it, it just looked like to me. They, they, they don't, they don't, they don't, you, they don't want to marry the ones who got a bunch of money, the basketball player, the football player. Forget all about that. You are a child of God, and when you start to think that way, the devil will use that warped way of thinking to get down in your spirit. A little leaven will do what? Eleven the whole lump. So if you allow that thing to permeate because of how you were brought up, listen, listen about how you were brought up. Your family of origin had some stuff that was good, and every family of origin had some stuff that was bad. Come on, let's be honest. I don't care how good your mom and daddy were, there was some stuff in your family that was dysfunctional. Hello? I know you don't like to talk about it. I know you want everybody to think that everything was kosher. Everything was cool. We were God-fearing people. We went to church every Sunday. We were raised in the church. Being raised in the church don't mean a whole lot if, you, if the church ain't in you. So let's just clear the air. All of us got some dysfunctionality. Yours may be different than ours, but it was dysfunctional. And unless the Lord come in and fix it up, it's, it may still be dysfunctional. Because family of origin stuff will trace you throughout your adult life till you go to your grave, if you let it. Hello, somebody. So, so can we get back here? Okay. Because I know, 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 I know you were told by your mama, boy, don't you bring home. Everybody said that wasn't right. You didn't know anything about the person. You made a decision. Peep this, y'all. You made a decision about somebody based on how they looked on the outside. And yet you get mad when somebody makes a decision on you based on how you look on the outside. But you do the very same thing. And then you try to fix it up. Well, you know, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems if they're black and black. Do I need to get a witness right now? Some of y'all marry somebody blacker than black and y'all having all kinds of problems. I don't know what that... My point is this. Quit making judgments and determination about the quality and the character of people based on what they look like on the outside. Don't ever judge a book just by its cover. Get on the inside and read it. Amen. If that person is born again, that person loves God, then you shouldn't have a problem with who your son or your daughter chooses. If they love God, if they're born again, if they're living for Jesus. Amen. All right. So watch it. So they got a problem with Moses because he married this Ethiopian 
woman, the Cushite woman, the dark-skinned woman. So he started to give Moses some flat because of who he married. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. You got to be careful when you come against God's man or God's woman. The Lord hears you and he does not take it lightly. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. So immediately, immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron and Mary, called to the family members and said, go out, go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. <laughs> so the three of them went to the tabernacle. Watch what the text says. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam. Sound like your mama calling you back in the day. Huh? John Wayne! When they call your whole name like that, you, you probably knew. Robert L! Johnny Ray! And they throw that last name in and you know you're Johnny Ray Schmidt, get your tail back to this house. You, so, so God, watch this. God says, Aaron and Miriam. He called and they stepped forward. Watch what the text says. And the Lord said to them, now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, will reveal myself in visions. I will speak to them in dreams. Okay? Regular folks. Regular prophets. I will speak to them in dreams. He says, but not with my, mo- my servant Moses. All of my house, of all of my house, he is the one I trust. This is God talking about Moses, who's known as the friend of God. Watch the text. Watch it. It says what? But not my, it says, I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why are you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? Why, why are you not respecting my leader of, of my people to the point to where you criticize him for something that, that you ain't got no business to be involved in? Watch the text. Look at it. Look what it says. The Lord was very angry with them and he departed. It's kind of like your mama or your daddy. They fuss at you and, they, and then they don't say nothing. They get quiet. Hmm. And you know something get ready to happen, don't you? They ain't saying nothing. Stop and went to the back. Stop or went outside. And they went toward that tree. As the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. When Aaron saw what had happened to her, watch this, he cried out to Moses. Who's he cried to? He cries out to Moses, the one that they've been criticizing. He says, oh, my master, please don't punish us for this sin. We have so foolishly committed. They made the wrong choice to challenge God's anointed leader. All right? Because of who he had married. So this Ethiopian woman, this Cushite woman, Zipporah had converted to Judaism. Again, later on, she, she, she gets back right, okay? Because, you know, uh, God hears the plea. That's the thing about it. when God's man, even though he's been 
been unjustly criticized, he goes to God on behalf of the ones who had criticized him. And I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes you, you, you'll find yourself, when you're really moving with God, you'll find yourself praying for folks who you know despitefully use you. You'll find yourself praying for people who you know been talking about you. You'll find yourself praying for individuals who you know have done you wrong. Because God on the inside can't allow you, won't allow you to hate people and to hold grudges. Forgiveness has to take place with a child of God. So Zipporah, uh, so, so Miriam got back right, but, but God had to show her that you ain't in charge. Zipporah had converted to Judaism and she believed in the one true God, Moses God. And as we see here in the text, she demonstrated her fear of God and faith to him at a time when Moses seemed to lack faith. Go back to uh, our text where we, where we were uh, coming from. Glory to God in Exodus. Go back to Exodus right quick. The fourth chapter. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Exodus chapter number four. Go back to verse number 25. Moses, again, remember God is telling him, go. he's on his way back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let the people go. And so uh, on his way back, God was getting ready to take him out because he had failed to do what God had instructed him to do. Because see, the sign of the covenant with God was that every male that was born, amen, as an Israelite, had to go undergo circumcision. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. So how can Moses go back to Egypt and represent God before Pharaoh and before God's people, the Israelites, and not be in covenant relationship with God and, out of, and, and walking out of order huh? in the very thing that God told him to do that will represent the fact that he has covenant with God? See, we serve a covenant-keeping God. A God who, who knows and understands that when, when he does something, he wants us to buy all the way in. Moses had been instructed to circumcise his firstborn son as a demonstration of his commitment to God's covenant. And the covenant was the unique agreement God has set up between himself and his followers, the Israelites. And it was the father's responsibility. Everybody said the father. It was the father's responsibility according to the culture and the tradition, to raise his family in the faith and to teach them to carry out the various symbolic acts and demonstration of that faith and the demonstration of that covenant. So God had instructed Moses that he had a big job for Moses to do, but Moses was supposed to get, go tell Pharaoh that the judgment of God was about to come. We see that in Exodus, the fourth chapter, verse number 22. So, so, but the same Moses on the way to tell Pharaoh... Uh, to let my people, God's people go, he was about to be taken out by God because of his what? Disobedience. Now watch this. Listen to what I want to get to when it comes to the, the poor. We know uh, why we got to this point in the lesson. He's on his way back there, right? And, 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 and so what Zipporah does next is she did what Moses failed to do. As a mother, she did what the daddy didn't do. There are times in, 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 the, in the life, in the history of a family where mama will step in and help the whole family keep covenant. Mama will step in when daddy won't go to church. Hello? And bring the children to church. When a father's role is to train up a child in the way they should go, and then when he's old, he won't depart from it. So we see Zipporah here. 
Amen. Understanding and knowing that God is getting ready to take Moses out, she gets a knife and performs the circumcision. Oh, y'all, look, look at verse 25. It says, but Moses' wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. Amen. She touched his feet with the foreskin and said, now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Listen to me very carefully. Zipporah rose up in faith and stood in the gap for Moses. I can't tell you the number of times that my wife has rose up and stood in the gap for me. Amen. And I thank God for her, her motherly instinct. I thank God for her, for her, her commitment to God's covenant. Amen. Zipporah stood in the gap. Moses had failed to bring his firstborn son into the covenant with God. And Zipporah knew that God's judgment was on her husband. So she did what many women have done through the years. She interposed herself between God's judgment and the person who was to be judged. Mothers would do that all the time. Mothers would step in for that child and keep that child from going down. Can I get a witness? Mothers was not, and fathers do this too, but, I, but, but, but this is Mother's Day. Third Sunday in June, we're talking about fathers. Mothers will step in when they see that child going astray. Even at the risk of that child, a man turning against them. They'll step in and say, listen, I see something that you can't see right now. And one of the things I've learned in life, and hear me carefully, all mothers and all fathers in this place, sometimes when you, with your children, you have to get to a point to where you step back and let God do what God's going to do. I can appreciate your role, but there comes a point in time in your life when that, when that, when that child, when that son, that daughter gets to a certain age, you can't be uh, the, 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 what I'm going to call you, you're still the mama, but you got to be more of a counselor and an encourager than an instructor. In other words, you're trying to tell them everything to do. Trying to tell them every decision to make. And the longer you do that, the longer they're going to stay in baby stage and won't grow and learn how to make the right choices. Zipporah here stepped in for her husband. Zipporah knew that God's judgment was on her husband, so she stepped in. She interposed herself. Interposition is when you act in obedience in an attempt to deflect God's judgment intended for someone else. Amen. Many women, many mothers have interposed themselves as an act of faith on behalf of someone else, particularly their children or their husbands. Amen. So Zipporah did the right thing. She stepped in and did what Moses didn't do. That's what a mother would do. A mother won't just sit around complaining. Again, I said a mother. I am not just talking about a baby mama. I have to dif differentiate that. There are many ladies who've had babies, but they don't have a mothering spirit. There are many, many ladies who've had babies, but they expect their mama to raise their baby. A true godly mother, amen, stands in the gap for her children and for her spouse. Can I get a witness? So the, I like Zipporah. She stepped in. Let's go to the New Testament right quick, and we're going to get ready to try to wrap this thing up. Because, again, when we look at this thing, what can we learn from Zipporah? And this is not just for mothers, but it's for all of us in here. See, there are times when God will call on you 
to stand in the gap for somebody else. There are times when God will call upon you. Because you, you remember Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, if I can find just, you know, just, just a few righteous folks, I won't pronounce judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. But guess what? As he went down the line, he couldn't find anybody who was worthy to stand in the gap. We all need to be in a position where we will stand and intercede on behalf of those, amen, who need to be interceded for. Okay? So, so Zipporah did that for her husband. Go to first, second Timothy chapter number one right quick. And we're going to see some, some traits of godly mothers here because I think it's really important that this be in, our, in, the, in the forefront of our mind. And the, again, these principles apply not just to mothers, but, but to all of us. But since it's Mother's Day, we're talking about mamas. Paul here is writing to his young son in the ministry by the name of Timothy. Are y'all still with me today? And he tells Timothy here, uh, start at verse number three, 2 Timothy chapter one. We'll start at verse number three and read a, a few verses there. Because we want to see Paul thought very, he, he was very fond of Timothy, his son in the ministry. He was very close to Timothy and he shares some things about Timothy here that I think is, that gives us some insight into how Timothy was raised. Now don't you think for one second that how somebody was reared doesn't impact how they live today. Your family of origin impacts you more than what you care to admit. And, and I, I'm going to tell you something. I, I've, I've begun to understand this even more so as time has gone on. As I've gotten older, I've, I, I can see some traits, some family traits that, 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 that I carry, amen, some good and some not so good, that I have to, I have to make sure that I stay on point and, and not succumb to the things that are not so good. Amen. So our families of origin have impact. That's why it's critically important that when you are rearing your children, you bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And as you learn, and as you grow, you learn how to teach your children because they're, they're going to come, come a point in time when you're not going to be there with them. You can't make that choice for them. And it's, it's very difficult sometimes for mothers to turn loose. Mama wants to hold on. Mama wants to tell you how to do it. You fit the five. Hello? Mama still won't tell you how to do it. You're 25. She's holding on. She's giving you hints. And if she ain't really growing, when you don't get a hint, she'll get mad at you. Hello? Because she still thinks that the umbilical cord is still connected. But there comes a point in time when every child, whether it's a boy or a girl, has to Cut the umbilical cord. There comes a point in time when you got to, mama, you got to let go and let God. You got to trust that God is going to do what only he can do in your child's life. Look at the text here. Watch this. It says, Timothy, I thank God for you. The God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Paul, talking to his son in the ministry by the name of Timothy. Look at what he says. I long to see you again. For I remember your tears as we parted, and I'll be filled with joy when we are together again. Isn't that awesome? His relationship with, with, with Timothy was such that he says, I want to see you again. There are some folks who you have a relationship with, you don't really care to see them again, do you? Can we be honest? There are some folks who you're in a relationship with, when you see them come, you're like, oh, gone. There you come. Close the blind. 
Turn the TV off. Don't answer the door. But y'all don't do that, do you? Do we have anybody here that, that, that? Come on, saints. Here's the thing we got to learn, guys. Relationship building is critically important in the body of Christ. And as we've been talking about over the years, we have to learn how to do relationships better. And here's the real part. Now, listen to this carefully. God wants to use you. He wants to use you to influence and impact folk who are not just like you. Most of us don't have a problem hanging out with folks who are just like us. Same value system. Do things the same way we do. Oh, we, we chilling with them. But here's what God will do. God will bring you somebody at work that he wants you to minister to that gets on your last nerve. God will even hook you up with somebody in the family who, who really you don't really care to be around, but he wants to use you to impact that person's life. Now, so, so, so since you in your own self and in your own flesh and your own emotions really don't want to deal with this person, you got to rely on the Holy Spirit to work through you. And I've said it before and I've said it again, in order to love people unconditionally, you cannot do that in your own strength. In order to be around certain people, you got to allow the Holy Spirit to work on you. Instead of trying to clean the other person up. Because that person needs to be cleaned up. He needs some help. And God is calling you to help him. But you can't help him because you, you, you can't deal with your own little emotion, your own little idiosyncrasy, your own little way of thinking about things, your own little way of just being you. I'm going to step back and be me. No, God said, if you're going to go with me, you got to step up and be with people. Now, for some of us, it's a little bit, it's a little bit tougher than others, right? Some of y'all, you, you know, you talk to a stop sign. It don't, it don't matter. You, you, I, don't mean, I don't mean no harm, but, but you, you're very conversational. You have the personality bent to where you, you, you don't, it, it doesn't bother you to interface with strangers or people who don't think just like you. As believers, let me ask you a question. How are we going to reach the world and influence the world with the gospel if we never interface with the world or interface with people who need to be reached and God has assigned us to reach them, but we can't reach them because we don't want to be around them? You think about that for a second. Jesus was criticized by the religious leaders because he hung out with sinners. People who weren't all the way nice. People who still had a little cuss in them. Got a little drink in them. Still like to, you know, know, do their thing thing. Jesus hung out with them so he could impact them. Now watch this, watch this. I remember your genuine faith. He said, now watch what he says about Timothy. I remember your genuine faith. For you shared the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that that same faith continues strong in you. Says Paul thought fondly of Timothy and his sincere faith, he was reminded that such faith also dwelt in his mama and his grandmother. Everybody say it was generational. Now, Timothy's father, if you go to Acts 16, chapter, which we won't have time to go there, you'll see that he was a Greek unbeliever. He, he was not saved, but his mama was saved, and her faith impacted him. 
We talk about godly mothers are women of sincere faith. Sincere faith literally means not hypocritical. It's possible to have a hypocritical, non-genuine form of faith. I call it phony faith. And phony faith is the mask that's put on in front of church members out in public, but it's set aside in the home. Hello? Phony faith. You fight all the way to church, cussing and fussing with the children in the back seat, and then step out the car and tell my, hey, sister, how you doing? <laughs> Glory be to God. It is a good day that the Lord has made. I come to rejoice and be glad. Hallelujah. <laughs> and your child is sitting there absorbing the fact that you just cussed daddy out on the way to church, but when you got out, it was blessed be the Lord of God or, or the most high God. Everybody say phony faith. Now everybody can have a bad moment. I'm not talking about bad moments. Because how many of y'all have had bad moments? How many, how many of you, how many of you, you, you've lost it and you, you, you kind of just went off the, off the rail a little bit? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about folk who do this all the time. I'm talking about people who have a pattern and a lifestyle of, of being one way in church and another way at home. Sincere faith. These women had sincere faith. Godly mothers have sincere faith, not hypocritical faith. Number two, godly mothers honor God's word and they train their children in it. Go to 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 through 17. Godly mothers honor God's word and they train their children in it. See, we have a responsibility, child of God, if you have biological children or not. All of us have somebody who we influence. Your auntie, you, you, you are a, a, a mentor. You, you, you have somebody who you influence. And God wants to use you to influence that person. Can I get a witness? So godly mothers honor God's word and train their children in it. And, and people who are following God honor God's word and train the people who they influence in the word of God. Watch what the text says. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Who taught him? His mama and his grandmama, Lois and Eunice. You have been taught from you have been taught the holy scriptures from when? From childhood. Parents, don't you dare sit here and, and, and let your children determine whether or not they're coming to church or not. And let your children determine whether or not they're coming to youth uh, real for Christ or CK kids. That's not an option because you're in the training mode. How can a five-year-old make a grown-up decision? They can't. And you're foolish for letting them try to make it. Well, he was crying. Well, he, he was crying because you hadn't trained him. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Look at the next verse. It says what? Uh, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. That's what the word will do. That's why we got we to gotta honor God's word and train those who we mentor, train those who we rear up in our homes to, uh, to, to abide and to live their lives by it. Verse 17, watch this. It says, God uses it, what is it? The scriptures to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And lastly, godly mothers, uh, not only do they uh, 
honor God's word and train the children, but godly mothers have great influence on their children. Everybody say great influence. Everybody say great influence. Now, you can't, as a mother, do those things if you or yourself are not growing uh, in your love for God's word. You can't train your child up in it if you're not growing in it. And you can't, uh, you, you, can't, you can't lead your children to save in faith if you don't really know what it means to be saved and embody what it means to be a Christian. But they have great influence over their children. As a parent, you have great influence. On this Mother's Day, I want to encourage each one of you all who are mothers to make sure that you influence your children in a godly way. For those who are, who are not mothers, but you are a Christian, use, amen, amen, what God has given you to impact somebody's life. It'd be a sad commentary for you to leave this world and at your funeral, we can't think of anybody who you, who you influence in a godly way. It'd be a sad commentary when we have your funeral, nobody can stand up and say, you know what, old brother Jones there, he shared, he shared a message of faith with me. Old brother Jones there shared wisdom from God's word with me. Old brother Jones there kept me from going off and doing something crazy. He prayed with me. He instructed me. Or my, my, my Mother Smith did this and did that. We are called upon to interface with people and to share our faith. On this Mother's Day, making the right choice like these mothers did is critically important for us. Zipporah did it for her husband. Lois and Eunice did it for their son and grandson. You have an opportunity to do it for those who you impact. I'm closing with this. Solomon, after he had asked God for wisdom, one time had a decision and a choice to make. Two ladies came to him, and they were prostitutes. And both of them had gotten pregnant. One had rolled over on her baby and smothered and the baby died. And she took the baby from the other lady. And they brought this problem to Solomon. And said, you know, one was claiming it was a child, other was claiming that, that child. And Solomon in his wisdom said this. Y'all know the story. Solomon said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Bring the sword. We're going to cut the baby in half and both of y'all can have half of it. The one who wasn't the mother said, well, yeah, let's do Let's cut him in half. I'll have half and he'll, she'll have half. But real, real mamas will say, if it means me giving up my child so they can live, I'm going to give it up so they can live. And Solomon immediately knew that the one who said she can have the child, that was the real mama. Because a real mama would never allow the child to be killed just so they can have half a child that's dead. Make the right choice. Jesus made the right choice for us. When he went to the cross of Calvary, died on Calvary's hill, buried in a borrowed tomb, early one Sunday morning, got up with all power in heaven and earth in his hands. He made the right choice. Are you making the right choices? Because you know we are a sum total of the choices that we make. Every head bow, every eye